Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey comrades, editor Nick coming at you. I wanted to pop in real quick before the episode gets started to say we may be a little bit late on the next episode. Uh, Summertime madness (laughs) situation. We've got both of us a lot going on right now. Um, So we may be able to get it out on time, but it might be a week or two late and just wanted to let everyone know it doesn't mean that we have stopped the show if anyone even notices. (laughs) It just means we're dealing with life stuff. You know how it is. And uh, we'll be back to the regular posting schedule probably after after that. So back to every other week after. I also wanted to pop in here because in the interim, we have gotten our first Patreon membership. So we're just over the moon. Mike was joking about uh, trying to figure out a way to digitally make this like when a restaurant makes their first dollar and they frame it and put it up <laughs> on the wall. So we just wanted to say a very special thank you to Ivia. Hopefully that's how I pronounce it. Just wanted to say thank you. This is such a huge moment for us and such a like enormous, uh, not that money should matter that much, but of course it means a lot when someone likes your work enough to throw some dollars at it. Um, So this is just such a huge, motivating, awesome moment for us. Uh, We love doing the show and we will continue to do it for as long as we can. And your donations, of course, are going to make that so much more possible and help us out, just pay some bills. Even just covering the cost of the show would be nice. So thank you very much, Ivia. Again, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. And we just want to thank everyone who's been listening for the past, you know, several episodes. We're now in the double digits, which is very exciting. And we're just really thrilled and excited to keep going. And we're excited to, at some point someday, expand to maybe doing some extra content on Patreon or some bonus episodes where we can talk about other forms of media as well, maybe some other shows and whatnot. So thank you, everyone who's been with us up to this point. Thank you to anyone who's new. I hope you enjoy the show. And let's get into it. Hello, Nick. Hello, Mike. <laughs> I'm just keeping it spicy. I love how we're mixing it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I realized, Nick, in listening back at our past episodes, I realized that I say at the start of each episode, so what are we talking about today? As if I have no idea what, is, what we're talking about. And I, and I was like, I have to stop doing this, but I'm not going to. So what are we talking about today? <laughs> That was a real peek behind the curtain. I bet everyone thought you just showed up without knowing anything. Just fly by the seat of my pants, make it up as I go along. Yep. Mm -hmm. I don't even rewatch the episodes, actually. (laughs) Well, you know, my recaps are so good that you really don't have to. No, exactly. Um, Sarah just gave me a compliment when we were 
messaging back and forth. She's like, your recaps, I just feel like I'm there. And I was like, thank you for saying that because they take so much work. And I was like, is anyone even like, are these even worth it to other people? Because they're worth it to me. Oh, yeah. But I'm like, oh, I hope that this is working for other people. So when she said that, I was very happy. I mean, plus we got to slip our wry witticisms in there in direct reference to what's actually happening in the episode. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. what are we without the recap, really? <laughs> We're 30 <laughs> minutes is what we are. <laughs> We're 15 minutes of you and me loving on Wesley. And like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe, I just used the word loving on, which I hate. I would... <laughs> I, I I would like go back right now and just like if I if I had a time machine I would use it exactly to make me not say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What is wrong with me? Uh, uh, you know, it's okay. hot and it's humid. We just we all need to be forgiven for what yeah. happens today. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Okay. So to answer your question. Yes, what are we talking about today? We're talking about season one, episode 12, Data Lore, which Ooh. even from the name, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. The one in which Data has a little brother. <laughs> <laughs> and he's really mean. If we did the whole recap in that voice. I, wonder, I mean, how, how your partner would love it, do? but yeah. I think... Everyone else would unsubscribe. Yeah, you know, she told me, she was like, I think I need to stop doing the baby voice. I think I'm driving my friends nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a solid prediction right there. <laughs> <laughs> I could have called that years ago, but yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> the last time we were together, I was like, literally everyone in this car is going to murder us if we don't stop like we need to stop. <laughs> Talking in the baby voice. We're going to get thrown out of this car. <laughs> it's basically like what happens anytime you put you and me in the same room together. Yeah. You know, and we just get in on like Star Trek and <laughs> any other number And everyone of else like is like, we haven't seen the show. Stop talking about it. We're like, why are you guys laughing? Your jokes are not funny. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Um, you just don't get it, okay? We're hilarious. Exactly. And to prove how hilarious we are, let's dig into this week's recap. Let's do it. All right, so the Enterprise crew's latest assignment has taken them into the Omicron Theta star system, which we find out is where Data is from. Though they are due at their next stop in a few hours. <laughs> Why are they always getting things so close? I know. Uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard has decided to stop off at Data's home planet to hopefully unravel some of the mystery of his beginnings. Commander Will Riker and Captain Picard speculate as to why Data isn't on the bridge as they approach his home, with Picard stating that Data said he wanted to be alone, and that perhaps it's a bigger moment for him than they realized. What? Okay. We then immediately cut to Data alone, I think in engineering, Pretending to sneeze. <laughs> Acting ensign and most special boy in space, Wesley Crusher walks in as Data is chewing. <laughs> Wesley asks him what he's doing and Data hilariously responds, deadpan, sneezing. Like, it's <laughs> obvious. To which Wesley asks if he's got a cold and Data responds, a cold what? <laughs> Giving us very well-executed who's on first vibes. It really was. 
Also, can I just say my heart is full of joy that within the first 50 seconds of this episode, my two favorite special space boys are together having a conversation. I thought of you throughout this episode. I was like, oh, Nick is just like wetting her pants with glee yes. at every turn that we get Data I and Wesley. I was just like heart eye emoji <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> I was like, if someone reached, it was like someone reached into my brain and was like, what is the episode she would love most on Earth? And then this is the episode that they came up with. This is it. Wesley asks how Data can be practicing something like sneezing as they're approaching his home planet for the first time. Asking Data, isn't he interested in that? Data responds, he's more than interested, fascinated. One might even say agog, <laughs> but he also <laughs> finds sneezing interesting. And then he suddenly pops out another chew. <laughs> the whole interaction is just absolute chef's kiss. And future editing, Nick, just put the whole thing right in here. Just clip it out, put it in here because the audience has to hear it. It's just so good. Head for standard orbit of Data's planet. Wonder why Data hasn't come up here. He said he wanted to be alone. Perhaps this is a bigger moment for him than we thought. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, uh. Data! Chew! What are you doing? Sneezing. Have you got a cold? A cold what? <laughs> it's a disease my mom says people used to get. Ah. But humans still sneeze for other reasons. And I cannot seem to do it right. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh, how can you be practicing something like sneezing when we're arriving at your home planet for the first time? Aren't you interested in that? More than interested. Fascinated. One might say a god. But I also find sneezing interesting. Chew! <sighs> Captain Picard wishes to see you on the bridge. Uh, Wesley, through suppressed amusement, finally lets Data know Picard wants him on the bridge. As they approach the planet, we learn that the colonies on the planet did have farms, but their principal interest was science. We also learn that Data is holding the memories of the colonists, which is 411 people, but not the entirety of their lives, only the knowledge they had accumulated during them, which, okay. Uh -huh. Data says he's still deficient in his knowledge of many things human. <laughs> Sneezing, for example. Of course. I mean, it's so important. <laughs> and in one of those, uh, this is usually like a wharf type moment, Picard just says sneezing and then moves on. It's <laughs> so good. It was like a flim flam moment. It, it really was one of those episodes where y you did get to see the crew just being kind of like, okay, yeah, Data. Like, like, yes. like you've seen that they've kind of come to expect some kind of like non sequitur <laughs> from from data, and they're kind of like cool with it, you know? They're like, okay, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> you do you. I man. love it. Yeah, it's just like, yep, that I'm not even going to question this nope. sneezing. Yeah. <laughs> Picard expresses an excitement about the planet, wishing he could lead the away team, but knowing that Riker would object. Through this exchange, we learn that the entire colony disappeared some years ago, so Picard is definitely not going down there. Riker claps Data on the back, and away they go. And by they, I mean the away team. But it was awkward to say, away the away team goes. Oh, yeah, that would be kind of funny. You're welcome that I'm letting you know my process. <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> Everyone's so curious about it. <laughs> Through a Riker voiceover, we learn that everything is dead down on the planet. There's not even bacteria in the soil. Everything's dead. Starfleet has no idea what caused this or what could even cause this. So a juicy mystery is afoot, but thankfully no Sherlock or Dixon BS to go with it. Oh my goodness. And aren't we all glad? Uh, yeah, I'm very glad, especially given, you know, that it's a data centric episode. We could have gone there, but we did not. <sighs> the team runs scans and starts scouting the area. Helmsman Jordi LaForge estimates that the land has been barren like this for 20 to 30 years, and Data confirms that he was found 26 years ago. Data leads them to the location of where he was found, a stone slab at the bottom of a curved stone staircase. Data speculates he was given the colonist's memories hurriedly as if in an emergency, and we find out that he was discovered just lying there under a layer of dust. There was a signal device that eventually brought a rescue party, and Data speculates that the device sensed their presence and was programmed to awaken Data when other beings were in his proximity. He says his first memory is of opening his eyes to that rescue team. <laughs> Security Chief Tasha Yar, with wonder in her voice, calls this very spot Data's birthplace, and Data nods in agreement at this characterization. Which is weird, because it's not really his birthplace. It's just where no. Starfleet discovered him. <laughs> That's what I thought was so weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that like everybody's saying, like, oh, this is where you're from, Data. I'm just, this whole episode, I was like, wait, but it's not really where he's from, as far as, you know, anyway. Yeah. No, it's just where he opened his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, is like... Okay. I know. I know. Anyway, I'm I'm really picking nits on it, but I was just I, I was like I was a little bit one might say agog. One might say that. One might. At the fact That is that, a thing one says. That they were just like, you know, harping on this like data's birthplace, but it's like definitely objectively not data's birthplace. Like it's right. just where they found him. But that's also such a Starfleet attitude. Wow, look, Data, it's where you were born because this is when we discovered you existed. It's like this fucking highly sophisticated machine was not born on a stone slab out in the middle of, like, dirt. That's some book of Genesis shit right there. <laughs> right. It, yeah, it felt very, like, biblical to me. It and did, I was like, yes. You guys, can you not? <laughs> oh, okay. Jordy says that the natural-looking structure that they're standing in was cleverly done to look like a natural hollow in the terrain, but was definitely man-made and showed signs of being constructed in a hurry. This awakens a memory remnant in Data, who confirms the colonists were afraid of being discovered, and this led them to store information in Data. As Data is talking, Jordy finds a hidden switch that opens a secret door in the alcove they're standing in. And I just want to point out the sound design in this episode was good, but it was like so extra, <laughs> which mm -hmm. like made it really good. This episode had like a air of camp about it that I really yeah. loved. It didn't yeah. go full camp, but it was like very, they were having a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I feel like they really fully leaned into their like sci-fi kind of deep credibility yes. I, yes. And I was loving it, just for the record. This felt like a like a B mm. sci-fi movie, yep. you know, in the best way. It was just so fun. So yeah, when this, this secret door opens, there is this like 
music and sound that was just very like, a secret door just opened. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. <laughs> no. Kids kids drawings kids drawings, are what no. led the way for the scientific discovery. Because that's what I do when I'm in my laboratory working with highly sophisticated scientific materials oh, yeah. is I randomly tape up children's drawings. <laughs> and then you go, hmm, hmm yeah. Interesting. <laughs> this is this is evidence. Uh also yeah. I have a lot of questions about the timing of events, but we'll talk about that later because none of these things actually add up to like oh, what yeah. happened yeah but anyway like how did the kids have time to draw this horrifying thing that like devoured the planet in what you would imagine was a very short time yeah and then their parents had time to hang them up on the wall yeah at their place of work like they were still going to work yeah it, i don't know th that's what the drawing thing was the big problem but you know what the rest of the episode was so solid that yeah, i was just like it's fine i was like you know what this is one of those times when you just suspend reality in like the best possible way with Star Trek where you're like, okay, I don't need this to work for me right now, but yeah. because the rest of the episode is working. But yes, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, at this point, if the storyline made sense, I'd probably be disappointed. So yes, we go to the, we see the children's drawings on the wall, all looking quite ominous, depicting a strange, almost electric looking gold burst in the middle of the picture with human figures running away from it in terror. Riker, what a fucking clown. Riker asked if these drawings were hung by proud parents, like clearly not taking in the terrifying nature of right? the pictures. And the fact that like these were four different pictures, clearly by different kids that all were showing the same like horrifying yeah. thing. Yeah. And he's just like, ooh, proud parents hanging up. <laughs> Their kids' pictures. Like, what a nerd. <sighs> um, Data says the pictures feel familiar and dangerous to him, but he can't quite put his finger on it. Mm -hmm. These feelings lead him to a vague memory of being at Dr. Noonien Soong's work area. The away team have a lengthy conversation about who Dr. Soong was, which was the Earth's foremost robotic scientist uh, I just I just said that like I don't know what words are. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because if you hadn't said anything, I wouldn't be laughing. But <laughs> you stopped and pointed it out, and now it's making me laugh. Oh my god! All right, <laughs> Doctor okay. Soong. Woo. Uh, Dr. Soon was Earth's foremost robotic scientist who apparently traveled to the colony under an assumed name. 
Soong apparently, I'll say used apparently twice, um, promised to make Isaac Asimov's dream of a positronic brain come true and disappeared after he failed to deliver on these promises, fleeing to the colony to try a second time in secret. Mm-hmm. Data, Riker, and Jordy look around the lab and find a tube with epidermal molds that match Data's face and body. <laughs> so <laughs> they presume this is, you know, where he was made. Mm-hmm. Um, they then discover a very creepy storage storage area containing another Data broken into pieces and there's a little butt i i wrote in my notes data's butt data's butt <laughs> i love how we're always on the same wavelength like like looking if you're listening to this you don't know how we do this but we we are both looking at the same recap and when i get ahead to the notes and i see that that, that nick has put in the word butt i just get this like <laughs> warm fuzzy feeling all over <laughs> that we both were so excited about brent spiner's butt mold it's like this friendship is so right we just always know we know like where's picard get what if he has to pee and poop on the bridge exactly <laughs> Data's exactly butt. data's butt mold and i will add this I, I don't know if if you had this feeling as well but i was like getting some strong Blade Runner vibes when they opened oh up that thing. And there's this creepy, like, creepy mannequin head, you know? I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> yes. getting some Blade Runner. The original, not that new one, but the original Blade Runner right. kind of, like, creepy. Ooh. Yeah, the head was quite creepy. So, yeah, Data picks up the he- the head of this other Data. <laughs> and it's a not to be a dick about it because I know budgets and things, but it's a very poor looking facsimile. It's yeah, it is not good. <laughs> no, it's really quite bad. <sighs> um, but again, it added to this like campy flavor that the it episode did. had that I yep. really enjoyed. And is overcome with what we normally would say was emotion if TNG didn't constantly gaslight us about data not having emotions. <laughs> He asks Riker if this could possibly be his brother with wonder and excitement in his voice. It was quite cute and touching. Mm -hmm. Data immediately wants to assemble his twin, but Riker cautions that they don't know that this android can become alive. Mm -hmm. Data responds that it is very important to him to know that for sure, that he never dreamed it might be possible to have a connection with another form like his own. Riker smiles encouragingly and warmly tells Data they'll bring the disassembled droid back to the ship with them. Um, so I have to apologize. This is a quick side note to the engineer guy from the Traveler episode. If you remember, we went on and on about how this like random engineer guy was there and we never see him again. Yeah. But apparently we see him a lot. <laughs> And this is why the magic oh. of IMDb exists. Um, so he was in this episode oh. and I was like, wait a minute, I know this guy. So apparently the actor's name is Biff Yeager. <laughs> and wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Was it, was, that's was his it? actual name. He sounds like he should be in Back to the Future as like the It's the exactly what it sounds like. I was like either that or like one of Brett Kavanaugh's friends. Oh my God. <laughs> And Scoob and Snuggy and, and Biff and Jaeger. <laughs> I don't I don't know if this reference is gonna hold up. I don't know if anybody's gonna find that funny, but <laughs> I found it very funny. That took me out. 
Ugh. Oh my God. So anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to do an ode to the engineer guy mm-hmm. and say that I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were in more episodes than the one episode. Here's to you. <laughs> Here's to you, engineer guy. I think what I think happens is I think Jordy ends up replacing him as like the head of engineering in maybe season two. I don't remember exactly when it happens, but Mm -hmm. that's why I don't remember him. But yes, the engineer guy is part of a team that we see working on what is absolutely a store mannequin Mm -hmm. with gadgets shoved clumsily into its neck, arm and leg holes. Definitely. Everyone is being very delicate with data around the conference table, seemingly unable to figure out how to ask questions that they have about his construction without feeling like they're demeaning him in some way. Picard tells everyone to stop pussyfooting around and just ask what they need to ask, kindly saying that if they feel awkward to be reminded that data is a machine, then to remember that they're, they are a different kind of machine themselves, just electrochemical in nature. Riker? <laughs> loves this comment he is looking at Picard with the biggest moony love eyes knocks twice on the table in agreement and Jordy also agrees with this statement (laughs) I actually pulled a screenshot of Riker's face it was so funny (laughs) like I've never seen him look at anything with so much love in his eyes as when Picard was saying this this statement it's so funny Um, but I mean also I agree I feel like it was a beautiful moment it was a really nice moment, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much I loved in this episode. I cannot wait to talk about oh, it. Oh, we are going to get all into it. Oh, all up in it. Mm-hmm. We're going to like get all on Data's butt. <laughs> <laughs> data's butt, Data's butt. <laughs> I mean, it was very, it was very cute and also very unnecessary. But I also was thinking about, I'm like, well, what were their options? Because it was like either to be turned forward or to be turned back. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I guess they did <laughs> what they had to do. I also was wondering for like uh, censorship stuff, mm-hmm. like does that count as nudity? Yeah. <laughs> this well, this it, uh, dismembered butt just floating in the air. I mean, by that standard, maybe they could have put his penis. I'm assuming he I has mean, a penis. Does he have a Well, does, does data he's fully functional. I know, but that doesn't necessarily mean, wow. Hmm. I wonder That's if he true. has interchangeable sex organs. He would have to. Oh, or at least the option sure. must be there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Data's so hot. I want to fuck this android so bad. <laughs> this episode, I was like, I am so fucking horny for Data. It's weird. <laughs> Which is funny because this is, we should talk about demisexuality at some point. Maybe today. Okay. But it was so funny because I'm absolutely repulsed by lore. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's it's about the character. It's mm-hmm. not about like it's even Brent Spiner. Whenever I see him out of makeup, I'm like, ugh. But <laughs> not not because he looks bad or anything, but just like it's just like I'm like literally ter- like I'm into data. <laughs> That's yeah. it. No, I and think- a lot of people don't get that. They think like you're into the actor, and it's like no, I'm into the character that the actor plays. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I that is definitely a thing. Absolutely. And it's a big part of like asexual uh, culture. You know, it's like a big thing in the ace community that like that is a thing that you Mm. are drawn to. I think there's a name for it that I can't remember, but you're drawn to uh, fictional characters. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So 
I'm really into data. <laughs> Too long. Didn't listen. <laughs> Nick's got the hots for data. Huh. I had no idea. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, you've never mentioned it before obsessively a hundred times. <laughs> um, so Riker shows one of the terrifying kids drawings to Picard just before Chief Medical Officer Dr. Beverly Crusher interrupts their meeting to say they very much need Mr. Data's help. We then see Data showing Beverly how to turn him off through an indent on his side that has small projections inside of it. Data extremely cutely refers to this as an Android alarm clock and then asks if this is amusing. It is extremely <laughs> amusing, Data. I love you so much. Please be my boyfriend. Bev is a total bitch about it and says it's not amusing, which means despite all the goodwill she earned with me by giving us great face in the last episode, she is now on my shit list forever. Do not tell my sweet baby boy that he's not funny when he's so funny. But in this whole episode, she has a couple moments in this episode. It's like, Bev, what? I know. She was like written to just be extremely cold yeah. and like... I don't, it, yeah, it was just very weird. And again, it's just the poor writing for the female characters. They're just always yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> in this episode, where was our doctor who was wishing for her calluses that doctors are supposed to get? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like she was the total opposite of that. She was a callus. She was like a walking fucking uh, callus. Yeah, this is like men writing women here. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the issue we have. Yeah, it's like, oh, women don't laugh at my jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't yeah. think I'm funny. Oh, my goodness. And it's like, well, you're not funny, but Data's hilarious. Don't be mean to him. I, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Data explains that these buttons are how they can shut him off and determine how long he'll be unconscious. And it becomes clear that they're going to take him apart to see how he was put together to help with the assembly of his brother. Beverly promises to keep Data's off switch a secret, which becomes an important plot point later. Mm -hmm. We get a very cool overhead shot of Data and his brother side by side on different operating tables being explored by the assembly team. I just, the fucking camera work in this episode was absolutely astonishing. Like, I cannot believe how good it was. Just wanted to shout that out. Um, Data's brother suddenly comes to life, and he's a cheeky little bastard, claiming that Data came first, but he was imperfect, and so Lore, as he's asked to be called, was made to be a better version of Data. We can see right away that Lore is quite different from Data, as he is winking and smiling, seeming to have a grasp on human expression that Data quote-unquote lacks. And we have to just appreciate Brent Spiner <laughs> yes. in this, like... Like, I don't know how he is dressed up as the same, basically in his data costume, playing each role. And totally, like, I believe 100% that, that these are two different people. Like, oh, yeah. He just, I, I mean, he leans into that so, so, so well. And the thing I noticed, because, like, I've just watched Moon Knight. I don't know if you've heard of that or watched no. it. Um, it's a new Disney show with Oscar Isaac. Or is it Isaac Oscar? I can never remember <laughs> what. Whenever someone has like two first names uh, as a name, uh, I can yeah. never. That's like Clark Greg or Greg Clark. I have like the biggest crush on him and I still don't know which way his name goes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't ever meet him and have to have to sort that out. 
I'll just call him Clark uh, to be safe. Yeah. And he just won't know if I'm calling him by his first or last name. (laughs) (laughs) Or I won't know, I should say. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, but this. uh, So anyway, Moon Knight is like a show where it's very much like this kind of premise where it's someone who has uh, multiple personalities Mm -hmm. and they end up becoming like. They can actually talk to each other. Okay. Like they become like separate people or whatever, um, which, you know, I could do an analysis and critique of, but that's not the point here. <laughs> the point is, is that you have a lot of uh, <laughs> this character, this actor acting against himself in many different scenes. And I just think it's extremely rare for me to feel like the two characters are actually talking to each other. I just always feel like I'm very outside looking at like, oh, I know this is a split screen Mm -hmm. and I know this person is doing it against either another actor or just like the air. Mm -hmm. I just always feel like you can tell, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. I can tell they're not actually looking at each other. I can tell they're not actually like responding off of one another. Right. This episode, this has all been a very long way to say this episode. I cannot believe how believable Brent Spiner was in both roles. Yes. As not just individually, like he played both roles very well Mm -hmm. but also the scenes where they're talking to one another i was like buying it i was like oh yeah wow this is actually two people having a conversation the whole time yeah and i think the camera work was a big part of that yeah but i also think like brent spiner was a huge part of it like he managed to just Mm -hmm. be so believable and the timing was perfect and where his eyes were were perfect like i just Mm -hmm. always felt like wow i'm actually watching two people have a conversation and it's remarkable because he, to be Data in the show in general, he must have to really like work as an actor to portray yeah. this character. And so to like just be in the, like within the course of the same episode, be able to be these two totally different people, I, I don't know. It was remarkable to me. It was remarkable. And then at one point, he's even being a, one of the per- people impersonating the other person. I know. That's, the, that's <laughs> and he did that perfectly. I know. I was like, oh, my goodness. How is he acting a twin impersonating the other twin, but perfectly? I know. It's yeah. so good. Okay. As we both said, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> All right. Uh, Picard, <laughs> like, where the fuck am I? Picard and Data have a private conversation where Picard expresses concern at Lore characterizing Data as imperfect, but Data is unperturbed, not taking the statement personally. Data calls out Picard for repeatedly calling Lore it, telling him that his refusal to see Lore as a being means that somehow, on some level, that must mean that Data is also a thing rather than a person. Uh-huh. Like a good ally should, Picard immediately apologizes and agrees to use the correct pronoun. Take note, cisgender people. <laughs> Data confirms for Picard that it seems like he and Laura have similar, if not identical, strength and computational capabilities, and then reassures Picard that his allegiances lie with Picard and Starfleet over his widow bodo <laughs> because <laughs> work Trump's family, am I right? Am I right? Even in the 24th century. Wildly, when Data leaves the ready room, he sees Lore sitting at a bridge command station where Geordi, Riker, Worf, and Wesley are giving him a tutorial of the ship's controls. Like, what <laughs> the fuck? You know nothing about this uh, being that you do know is extremely intelligent, 
And you're just like, here's how the ship works. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Let us show you everything. (laughs) Yeah, here's all the access codes to everything. (laughs) Um, We see Laura fail to remember a fairly simple equation or seemingly fail to remember a fairly simple Mm -hmm. equation. And he repeats a tick, a facial tick. I spelled tick wrong there, but he repeats a facial tick that he had earlier, a sort of wink that takes over the left side of his face while some foreboding little jingle plays in the background. <laughs> Data seems a little miffed at the situation, reminding Laura that the cap- that the captain hasn't yet approved him being on the bridge. After Laura asks for duties to perform, Worf asks Data if he was ever so eager to please, to which Data hilariously responds, never. <laughs> Laura says he was built to be more human, so he enjoys pleasing humans, and he calls Data brother, which Jordy says has a nice sound to it. Data seems unmoved and maybe a bit concerned that Laura is supposedly so fixated on pleasing humans, stating there are many things of importance as he gestures for Laura to follow him off the bridge. As they walk, Data points out that he noticed Laura being deceptive on the bridge with Riker and Wesley, pretending his knowledge was less than it really is, and giving Wesley a cheesy, kind of obvious compliment. Data says that humans are more perceptive than Laura is giving him credit for, and Laura says he'll amend his behavior and arrogantly tells Data to try to not be jealous of his abilities. Um, this was also some very nice foreshadowing for later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This episode, so well written. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. Data sits down to a computer in some room. I have no idea where they are. I had no idea where they were at all this episode. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I don't know what rooms these are, but yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, And he says he's looking for all the information out there about Dr. Soong, to which Laura laughingly and unkindly responds, ah, often wrong Soong. To Data's confused look, Laura elaborates that Soong was indeed a genius by human standards, but then Data cuts him off saying that he was considered so until he made promises that proved to be untrue. Laura responds that eventually these promises did turn out to be true, tapping the side of his head and pointing out that he and Data contain the very positronic brains that Soong lost his reputation over. He calls Soong our beloved father, and so the daddy (laughs) issues begin. (sighs) Hashtag relatable. (laughs) Laura then asks if he'll get a uniform like Data soon, and Data retorts that to earn that uniform, it took him about 17 to 19 years of education and work experience. A system designed to compensate for limited human ability, retorts Lore, and we see the human-pleasing facade fall away as Lore launches into a wild-eyed rant about how he and Data could have thousands or even millions of memories from species of every kind instead of just those of a few hundred colonists. Data asks how this is even possible, but Lore says he'll find that out later. Data then, having seen through Laura's bullshit because he's the fucking best, pointedly asks if they will also discuss who was made first at that time. Laura admits that he was indeed made first, that he had lied, made perfect in their father's image, so human that the other colonists became envious of him and petitioned Soong to make a more comfortable, less perfect android, unkindly clarifying, in other words, you, brother. Oh. Yeah. Um, I just yet again have to point out the framing of the shot was unbelievable. 
They had Data's reflection in the background kind of blurry, Lore in the foreground in darkness with a, a slash of light over his eyes. It was so like creepy and uh-huh. foreboding and also just like such an ingenious way to again make it seem like they were having a conversation mm-hmm. that was believable with yeah. the same actor. Yeah, I felt like they were really borrowing on a lot of like very good techniques, like very good yeah. sci-fi like storytelling, how they visually told the story. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, this was just an absolutely incredible episode. Mm-hmm. Data looks stunned and confused. Lore begins to taunt Data about his ability to handle human speech better than Data, demonstrating his ability to use contractions, whereas Data cannot. Mm. See what I did there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This will also become (laughs) important later. Dot, dot, dot. Then my heart absolutely shatters into pieces as Lore viciously remarks on Data's inability to master human humor. And Data sadly admits that he keeps trying to be more human and keeps failing. Poor Data. And I think this is why they had Bev be so mean to him earlier to make this moment like more poignant. But it still just pisses me off that they did it when he actually was being very funny. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. Whereas like, you know, the I wish maybe the scene with Jordy from that horrid episode. Yeah. uh, The the including the kiddies. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that scene was in this episode because yeah. I feel like that would have made more sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, cause it just, this one just felt like Bev was just being mean. Whereas mm-hmm. in that episode, you saw that Jordy was being very good natured with data, but was like, that's not funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like it's just genuinely not funny. Yep. Although even in that episode, data was funny. I know. <laughs> cause he is funny. I know data has a great sense of humor. He's hilarious. Uh, Laura leans in and says conspiratorially, do you realize, brother, that I can help you be more human? And Data, like a fucking narc, but also with a bitchy energy that I stand, says, and do you realize, Laura, that I'm obligated to report all of this to the captain? <laughs> like, baby, he's giving massive villain energy. Maybe don't tell him your plan, but okay. But that's a, that's a Data move. You know, it is. Like, okay, well, fine. I'm telling. Yeah. <laughs> I've recorded all of this and I will report it back to the captain. Mm-hmm. Laura says he already figured as much from observing data and then asked to use a computer to learn more about the ship's customs, the ship and its customs. Uh, data tells him to also use it to file. <laughs> Such a funny comment. Data tells him to also use it to file a report about everything that happened on the colony, which Laura menacingly promises to do with great detail and accuracy, but like in a very menacing way. Data leaves and Laura turns to the computer with an evil smirk on his face. I love to how anytime someone uses the computer, it's the same like montage of images. Yes. Have you noticed that? Like, it's always, like, the ship. Yep. And then, like, blurbs of text. It's, like, always the same images. And then the, little, like, the little chirpy sound. Yeah. The doo-doo-doo. The little, like, I love thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> we get a voiceover from Picard informing us that with the information provided by Lore and the child's drawing, <laughs> <laughs> they were... I just can't get over how this is used as, like, Because, you know, scientific. we're going to use this child's drawing to <laughs> definitely do these space calculations. Uh, They were able to simulate the crystalline life force depicted in the drawing, 
One that Laura says feeds off life energy and was responsible for the colonists disappearing and the planet becoming barren. Delta. Yeah. Tasha informs Data that Lore left his cabin, and Worf tells him where Lore went and what he was looking at. Apparently, what Lore was looking for was comparable to a human looking for an antiseptic for a cut. So it's not overly alarming, but Data decides to go check it out anyway, just to be sure. <laughs> Bev, goddammit, Bev, scolds <laughs> Data for watching his brother so closely. But Picard jumps to his defense, saying he is acting appropriately in his duties as a Starfleet officer obeying his captain. Mm -hmm. After Data leaves the bridge, Tasha asks Picard how much he thinks he can really trust Data now. This was so wedged in. I was like, okay. Hilariously, Jordy and Wesley turn around wide-eyed from their stations to stare at Picard and <laughs> wait for his that response. Was kind of an awkward scene. <laughs> they zoomed in so mm. close to their faces. I know. Uh, Picard confirms that he trusts Data completely, but defends Tasha's question as legitimate from a security standpoint. And Tasha looks like she wants to jump his bounds again. Ugh. Mm. We see Laura in a room somewhere <laughs> with two glasses of champagne, <laughs> one of which he spikes with some kind of powder while smiling villainously. Data walks in and Laura tells him that step one in becoming more human is to observe human customs, holding up the champagne. He toasts their discovery of each other and they both drink, and Data is immediately affected by whatever Laura put in his drink, looking at Laura confused and alarmed, saying softly with betrayal, Brother? <laughs> As Data starts to shut down, Lore continues his monologue, stating that Soong gave him the full richness of human needs and ambitions, a perfect match for his powerful mind and body. Data finally falls over after a last panic-shocked brother, and short, <laughs> short, <laughs> <laughs> and Lore hmm. chillingly. <laughs> <laughs> then toast the great crystalline entity with whom I've learned to communicate. I mean, he is some a bit of, of a exposition. chore. <laughs> <laughs> some of the exposition in this was like, yeah, bad, but like again, it was just delivered in the perfect way. Like they kind of knew it and mm -hmm. were leaning into it, mm -hmm. so I just loved it. He continues by telling an unconscious data that the entity the entity displayed great gratitude after Lore led it to the colonists, and imagine how grateful it'll be when he leads it to the ship. Dun dun dun. Which was actually one element that they didn't like. Like, what's his connection to the entity beyond Dude, it being happy? Like, but it makes how did he no make sense. contact with the entity? How did he know that making it happy would be something that would please? Anyway. That that was one weird thing, along with the child drawings, where I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right, suspending reality, okay. Yeah. Up on the bridge, Worf alerts Riker that Data is transmitting information on a subspace channel, and though Riker says it's probably just related to his soon research, he asks Wesley to go check on him discreetly, <laughs> which is like, why would you send a child to go check but well anyway. because he's friends he and data are buddies you know so it wouldn't I seem know, weird but still like if you were like oh something weird is going on i just feel like you wouldn't tell like the child you wouldn't put like a child in danger to go check on it yeah but if you wanted like if you wanted to keep it discreet you wouldn't send like one of the 
main bridge officers. I mean, that's true. Because then, then if something weird would, yeah, exactly. It would be like, oh, they definitely <laughs> suspect something. But also- No tact, Tasha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just come in with like her phaser, you know, pointed yeah. at him, yeah. set to kill. <laughs> that would have made the episode a little shorter. <laughs> I mean- <laughs> Because he's the sweetest boy in space, Wesley pops up, happily agreeing, adjusting his little sweater, and skips <laughs> off on his little mission. He's so cute that a random extra turns around and bursts into a smile at Riker about it. I also caught a screenshot of that. It was very funny. <laughs> we see what is obviously Lore dressed as Data talk and talking as Data, who will now be referred to as not Data, <laughs> sending a message to the crystalline entity. Wesley comes in to check on him and sees not Data dressed as Lore, or no, sorry, confusing myself, sees Data dressed as Lore on the ground. Not Data explains that Lore attacked him and he had to shut him down. When Wesley asks why, not Data says that Lore was enraged when he found out that they were tracking him with sensors, <laughs> but then has a facial tick, which Wesley obviously notices. Not Data comically says he's been practicing Lore's facial tick and asks if he has it right, to which Wesley says he should stop trying to imitate him because if it wasn't for his contraction use or inability, uh, I should say lack of contraction use, Wesley would have mistaken him for Lore. Not Data sends Wesley away, telling him to let the captain know he'll be right up to report this incident. Laura then uses some magical pen light to give Data a facial tick and remove his own. I don't get it, but it works. Okay. Data asks Wes how... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm falling apart. All right. Center yourself. Beverly asks Wes how Data said he immobilized Laura, but Wes just says he said... He turned him off. Mom, I mean doctor. <laughs> so cute. Uh, Bev is clearly concerned and confronts not Data when he comes waltzing onto the bridge, saying he didn't he swear her to secrecy about his off switch. I guess this interaction was a little confusing to me, but I guess she feels like he just told Wesley about it. Yeah. So he's just like telling people. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but he and Wesley are like best buds, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like if his mom knows, I don't know. I just felt yeah, that could have been a little bit better. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. But it's it's fine. Um, not Data smarms back that if he can't trust the bridge crew, who can he trust? Suddenly alarm, an alarm is going off and Jordy alerts Picard to a bogey coming in <laughs> at them hot. Picard orders them to yellow alert and the bogey on screen. We see quite clearly that it's the crystalline entity and it's catching up to them fast. Yes, it is. Very fast. Like 1988 <laughs> screensaver fast. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. That just killed me dead. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly what it fucking looked it like. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <sighs> All right. Lore, who can't help himself, says, it's beautiful, isn't it? And Wesley immediately picks up on the contraction, realizing that it's Lore and not Data. The crystalline entity is hovering outside the ship. Huge and beautiful. It is quite beautiful. I agree. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Jordy comes back to the bridge reporting that the entity is like a huge snowflake, but much more complex with electromagnetic energy bouncing around inside, but he has no idea what it is. Picard orders not data to see if he can interrogate Lore for more information about the entity. Wesley, feeling quite sassy, pops mm-hmm. up and says that he does not recommend allowing him to roam the ship freely. Picard and Riker reprimand Wesley, but not data says he's just being cautious and invites him along. Not if I have a choice, <laughs> Wesley Ooh. says. And Picard and Riker go into a frenzy like two barking dogs. I know. Riker says he'll come to to take responsibility for Wesley's bad attitude. And I literally cannot with them not picking up on what's going on. Idiots. They look like complete idiots in that scene. Just total fools. Like I don't I don't get it. Not data pretends to try to wake up lore. And fakes a violent response from him, saying he won't respond while others are around, and orders Riker and Wesley away. That was so. I just feel like anyone would know that's not how an android works. I know. I know. And especially like Riker and Wesley. I mean, Wesley picks up on what's going on, but like Riker has engineering knowledge. You know, like he's no. Even though he acts like a clown, he's no fool. I know. I know that that scene that that was not a well done. That was not a well-done exchange. I remembered that this episode, like, that Wesley picked up on stuff before other people, but I didn't remember how long it took for other people to believe him. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought this scene, I'm like, oh, surely Riker is going to be like, oh, yeah, this is very sus. You know, yeah. but he was like, nope, everything checks out. <laughs> uh, after they leave, uh, Laura kicks Data in the head a few times, which is very violent and scary. I know. Uh, and he just very menacing. It, it was quite well done. Asking him if he really wants to be as dumb as them, meaning the humans. And honestly, at this point, I agree with that sentiment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Riker. <laughs> I know. So back on the bi- bridge, Riker being a fucking clown confirms for Picard that it was definitely lore on the ground, facial tick and everything. Wesley snaps back, or was it Lore pretending to be Data, and of course gets barked at again by Tweedledum and Tweedledee, <laughs> with Picard seemingly on the verge of demoting Wesley and kicking him off the bridge. Which is so weird. It's like you you promoted him to acting ensign, and he can't like contribute to right. The, like his ideas don't matter, and he's also the person closest to Data on the bridge, and you're not going to listen to him, right? And he's already proven himself how many I know. times already by now. Ugh. The entity starts attacking the ship. Not Data comes onto the bridge and asks if he can talk to it. Picard notes that Data never mentioned he could do that before, but opens up a channel for him to try it. Not Data tells the entity to back off, and it does. Everyone requests them to... Why did I say everyone? <laughs> Well, I don't what was know. I thinking? Was it, wasn't it not data? <laughs> yeah, who does not this? data. Not data requests them to beam some large thing over near the entity and then destroy it with their weapons as, as a display of the power, their power to the entity. Picard says, make it so, and not data doesn't get it. So Picard has to say, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Wesley stands up to make a last ditch effort to convince the captain, but is yelled out to shut up, Wesley, and orders Tasha to put a security detail on not data. I 
also like it's just so unprofessional. Like there's no context in which you should ever be yelling at your inferior officer to shut up. Like I know. It's so violent. There's nowhere else in this show that anyone is ever told to shut up. I I don't know. It just really pisses me off. It's it pisses me off too. And just to your earlier point, like this is a person that you have given like he is an acting officer. So like there's just no whether he's a kid or not, it doesn't matter. He is a crew member and you yeah. just should not talk to a crew member that way. Yeah. It yeah, it's extremely disrespectful and yeah. very unprofessional. Yeah. It was just like it was just toxic masculine energy. Just into yeah. and and it would have been the same, like, I mean, I know you have a special soft spot for Wesley, but to me, like anybody who says that to anyone is a dick. Like, oh, I totally agree. Like, like anybody just like to someone voicing a concern, being like, shut up. I'm just like, oh, I, I don't know. It really, oh, it did it's damage. It's like a debate bro energy, yep. which I'm just not yep. here for. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a huge overlap between Trek bros and debate bros mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this very reason. But I agree with you. Like, I, I always get really pissed even just with how dismissive and kind of humiliating uh Picard is towards the security team. Yeah. You know? And like, he's not even telling them to shut up. Like, if he actually said shut up to Worf, I would be like, like, mutiny. I know. Like, that's (laughs) Throw him in the brig. Like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, Bev (sighs) seems pissed as she questions shut up, Wesley. Before Picard can authoritate to her, Wesley pipes in again with Beverly this time yelling, shut up, Wesley. Which was awful. That's her son. Like. I know. Oh, my goodness. And it just had this again, like he is an acting officer and she the energy she was giving was like. I mean, like mommy's handling it, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is not going to be helpful for someone who's like at their job trying to do their job. No. Uh, But Wes, his little strong, brave heart is undeterred. Mm -hmm. He yells at Picard that everything he said would have been listened to if it came from an adult officer. Mm. Tell him, Wesley. Where's the fucking lie? And then asks to return to his quarters. Picard agrees and sends Beverly with him, which she at first characterizes as Picard putting her off the bridge, but he corrects her as him asking her to keep an eye on her son during this mess. So we now get that like Picard's picked up that something's going on. Yeah, that's also though kind of like sexist too, because if it yeah. was Wesley's dad, would Picard be like, hey, keep an eye on him? Like he Picard could have sent anyone with Wesley. You know? Yeah. Like it's like the fact that he sent his mom is like sexist bullshit. But like that line from Wesley you would have listened if this was coming from an adult office. I was like, you tell them. You tell them, Wesley. Wesley always just cuts right to the bone yep. of what is going on. He says it like it's a, like it is, mm-hmm. and I love it. Because it's so true. Mm-hmm. If Riker had come to Picard, even if Picard was like doubtful, yep. he would he wouldn't tell him to shut up. No. You know, he no. wouldn't like be no. so dismissive. Absolutely. I know. I I just I think like if I had half the courage of Wesley, like when I was that age, you know, <laughs> or even now, or now, yeah, for, for that matter, yeah. Ugh. I know he's just such a good role model. Mm-hmm. Love my little boy. Uh, we see Worf and a security team approach the lift where Lore is. 
They all go to enter the lift, but Laura orders an emergency close and only Worf makes it in. Laura taunts Worf to show him that warrior fierceness and Worf gets in one punch to the face before Laura absolutely destroys him with a punch to the chest. I know that looked painful. Yeah, and I don't mean to laugh, but the way Michael Dorn, like the sound he made, was just so <laughs> he gets good. Some, he gets some pretty good. He gets some pretty good sound effects, you know. Like Michael Dorn knows what's going on. Yeah, you he know does. what I mean. He always yeah. knows how to play it, he and plays it just it up. was such he a plays it up. funny moment, which is sad because like Worf should be able to actually be this warrior that he's like said to be. I know he very you rarely know? actually gets to be the warrior. Usually he's like getting dismantled, but ugh, okay. I know. And I do mm-hmm. think there's definitely some racial racialization happening with like how comfortable mm-hmm. they are with Worf constantly being thrown around. Mm-hmm. So I just want to like acknowledge that while also acknowledging that Michael Dorn is a fucking genius mm-hmm. and just <laughs> constantly has these scenes that are fucking iconic. And this is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. We then see Wes and Bev enter the room where the real data is and Wesley having convinced her to come to check on him. Wes says he heard she knows how to turn data back on, to which Bev exasperatedly responds, this is very serious. (laughs) (laughs) To which Wesley, this is, Wesley's a fucking diva. I I just love it. To which Wesley narrows his eyes at her and hisses out, just tell me to shut up, Wesley, and I will. Oh, so Oh, my God. Love him. Bev sighs and tell him he's being very unfair. Which which he's not. No, he's not. But she does turn Data on, and he immediately pops up to go stop Lore. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, I cannot explain how much he popped up Mm -hmm. and, like, ran out of the room. The three of them go to the transporter room where Laura is chatting with the entity, telling it to wait for when he beams out an object so the deflector shield will go down and it can jump on that moment to attack the ship. I was thinking of you, Mike, with the, your... Putting the shields down to... <laughs> yes. Beam... Yes. Your endless transporter questions. I know. I have questions. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I know. Uh, Laura realizes someone is behind him and Data delivers the scathing line... How sad, dear brother. You make me wish I were an only child. Zing. (laughs) The campiness of it all jumps up to 10 as Laura looks around to see Wesley hiding in the shadows. Are you prepared for the death you've earned, little man? (laughs) Laura says (laughs) as Brent Spiner chews the scenery and I fall out of my chair laughing. It just, I I mean, everything was perfect about about this episode, just in terms of like structure, like the the final like boss fight at the end, you know, it was just so good. It was so good. Bev pops out with a phaser and threatens Laura if he takes another step towards our sweet baby boy, but he grabs Data and basically throws him at her and grabs the phaser away from her. So good job, Bev. (laughs) Laura promises to turn Wesley into a torch and to cause him exquisite pain if Data and Bev don't back off. Which is fucking creepy, and I loved it. Like, Dude. I was like, this guy is so evil. Like, in terms of the evil yeah. twin trope, like, Oof. they are nailing it. <laughs> no, he, like, I legitimately was like, he mm-hmm. is actually scary. I know, I know. Like, as much as it was also fun and campy, I was like, they did a good job with him being, like, actually scary. No, they, they walked that like, line. I was like, he would do it, too. Like, I mm-hmm. believe that he will burn this little boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does not care. No. 
Bev goes to leave, but Lore can't help himself and takes a small payment for her son's misdeeds in the form of a phaser shot to her arm. (laughs) This causes Wesley to jump forward in his mother's defense and Data to seize the moment of distraction to fight with Lore. While Data fights with Lore, he tells Wesley to prepare the transporter. He throws Lore into it and has Wesley beam him out just in time to cut off a phaser blast. Questions. (laughs) (laughs) So many questions. Anyway, we don't need to even talk about it. Anyway. (sighs) Right. Data and Wesley breathe a sigh of relief. But I have many questions. That's literally. <laughs> oh, that's so funny! I did not even see that. <laughs> I forgot that was there. Because that's, oh, that's so funny. Like I have around transporter and shield and tractor beam logic. I have just lots of questions. That's all. That's. I it. know. Well, I didn't love how we're twelve episodes in to like hundreds of episodes, uh-huh. and we're already on the same wavelength. Uh-huh. Can you imagine by uh-huh. season seven, we're just going to be like uh-huh. doing this uh, via like telepathy i know i know we won't even have to record the episodes which <laughs> uh, yeah we'll just think them and they'll appear yeah she'll right. save me a lot of time on editing honestly yeah <laughs> tasha picard Riker, and beverly all come running in phasers at the ready like thanks guys could have used this five minutes yeah, ago good timing i really don't understand the timing of because like picard sent people out before or at the same time as bev and wes <sighs> Yeah. But anyway, it's fine. Um, Wesley, like the brave little man child he is, nobly says, Laura's gone, sir, permanently. And then Bev runs up to smush his cute little face. Riker notes that the entity is going away and that without Laura, it had no way to reach them. I, question mark, again, question mark. Entity was a question mark, yeah, the whole right. episode. Picard asks Data if he's okay and then tells him to get rid of his facial tick and put on his uniform, which I was like, wow, ableist much. Yeah. He orders Wesley back to the bridge in lieu of an actual apology and then poses some extremely random philosophical question to Riker about if Data is more or less human than they want, to which Riker cheesily responds that he can only wish that they were all so well-balanced. And Picard says, agreed. Okay, I'm pissed at this ending, but we indeed got this ending, so let's get into the analysis. I just was thinking, like, it was such your comment, I think from the last episode, if I remember, where you you talked about how they seem to have this need to have, like, two white men of authority mm-hmm. tie, tie it up, mm-hmm. you know, with their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it just very much felt this way. Like, this episode was very Wesley-heavy, and we had this I, this concept of like ageism and, you know, just also kind of this idea, too, of like, do we really know the people around us? Mm-hmm. And like Wesley does because he pays attention and he's really close to everybody. Mm-hmm. So like there was that. And then there was data with like these massive questions about yes. like, oh, my God, what is it? What does so family much. mean? Is he alone in the universe? Like yeah. all these things. And they tie it up with Picard and Riker having this weird conversation. Who are basically just two giant just poop stains on this episode. Like they're <laughs> know, both they just really complete are. buttholes. And like I sorry, you can tell that I have I have now transported back into my eleven year old self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're doo-doo heads. Yeah, they're big poopy them. butts and it's really <laughs> making me angry on my insides. 
but they, like like we don't get like like Wesley like running up and hugging Data, you know, and Data standing there with his arms down, like blinking and saying, um, yeah, you know, and saying something kind of awkward and and silly, you know, like g- yes, give the mic what he wants. This is not what I wanted for the end. I do not want to hear from Riker and Picard at the end of this episode. No, this absolute. There is no fucking universe or galaxy where this episode should have ended with anyone except Wesley and Data having a very touching moment. Yeah, even to the point of like some some conversation about like I could see Wesley saying something to the effect of like. Like, I'll be your brother, or mm-hmm. I feel like you're my brother, or you know what yep. I mean? Like, making that connection yep. of, like, found family. Yep. And just, like, and even what Picard said, and Riker said, like, I just felt that, that it was so dehumanizing, I yes. guess it's an obvious word. But 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 for him to be like, oh, like, do we think Data is as human as we want him to be? More yes. or less human than we want him to be? And I was like, what fucking kind of question is this? And I hate the idea of, like, and this is just me, like, my personal pet peeve, but, like, I hate the idea of of talking about someone when they're not there, like, yeah. in that way. Like, I, I think yeah. it's so belittling. To be like, so about that data guy. You know what I mean? It's like you if you have anything to say about this, you need to be saying it with your your friend slash coworker, you know. Like you, you don't just talk about him behind his back and then go off chuckling. Exactly. <sighs> Infuriating. It was just fucking weird. And then what Riker said, I guess, was nice. Mm-hmm. But again, like data needed to hear that, not this weird like behind his back conversation. Yep. It just, you know, it goes back to my my complaint that I've leveled about so many episodes and will continue, but the Scooby-Doo ending, you know. <laughs> yes, um so true. and and it's like it's like I get that that's probably just a product of the times that this was made mm-hmm. for for television, but I I'm like, oh, there could have been so many cool things they could have done with that. Yeah, because I mean, Data must be in like quite a state, yeah. you know. Having like he hasn't even had time to process all of this. He must just be heartbroken and I know. Just feeling a hundred things. And also this idea of like how did people not know that that wasn't me would be a thing I'd be right. thinking about. Right. You know, and then Wesley's got his stuff of like also feeling misunderstood and not heard and not seen. And Picard never once apologizes, hey man, sorry. No, like, Riker even... didn't either. Because Riker at least is usually pretty good about apo- like actually yes. apologizing. And but, like even Riker didn't apologize. They could have at least bro-apologized. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey man, I things got pretty right. intense back there and I I think I said some things I shouldn't have said. Yeah. You know what I mean? Punch him on the arm and Yeah, which would have still been bullshit, but at least better than <laughs> than just <laughs> nothing, no acknowledgement. Yeah, it was <sighs> it was not good. Um and yeah, and I just feel very robbed of like the sweetest moment that ever mm-hmm. was that should have been I know. Wesley and Data, like having having a moment at the end of this episode. I hear you. As like Data realizing that this person really does see him and cares about him, you know, Mm -hmm. and like showed up for him in this way Mm -hmm. when he was so vulnerable. Because that was something I was thinking a lot about, too, in this episode is I really like the idea of Data's off switch. Yeah. And like how fucking vulnerable that makes him. Yeah. Oh, I know. And even him being aware, like... 
again, him not quote unquote having emotions, but like being savvy enough to know that even though he seems to be like kind of sweet and naive a lot of the times, like Mm -hmm. even he is like, I need to never tell anyone this. Like people need to not know that this exists. I I wrote that exact note. I I wrote that, um, that, you know, that where data says to Bev, if you had an off switch doctor, would you not keep it secret? Yes. And I thought, like, what an amazing sentiment for somebody who has a cognitive difference in the way that yeah. they process, but, they, but they're but they aware of that cognitive difference to know that there are elements of that that they just need to guard because other people would never be able to, like, handle the knowledge of that. It was, yeah. like, man. Yeah, that was... That was some... Yeah, it was pretty fucking profound, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. And as a disabled person and as someone who knows a lot about, like, disability abuse, uh, which is something I don't think a lot of people know much about, like, how badly disabled people are often abused and the ways that that can manifest Mm -hmm. in different relationships or with different power dynamics. Like, there's even small ways um, as someone who is very nearsighted and has very, you know, poor eyesight without my glasses, Mm -hmm. like... People can be abused, you know, uh, in ways that seem as small and insignificant as someone taking and hiding your glasses. Yeah. And it's it's not small and insignificant, but I just no. mean that, like, I think able-bodied people would hear that and not really understand, like, how actually fucking terrifying and horrible that is. And so that just made me think about, like, all these ways that we have, you know, off switches Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can hide them and sometimes we can't, you mm-hmm. know, and how fucking vulnerable that makes you. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, on that exact note, I loved, um, when, uh, there was that moment in the episode where data says, um, or no, sorry. I think it's, I think it's, uh, Picard says you operate the same as we do data. And then he says better in some ways, captain. <laughs> and I and I love that because there's like this acknowledgement, like like Picard is trying really hard to what's what's the word I'm looking for? Picard's trying hard to be like, hey, Data, you're one of us, you know. And mm-hmm. Data's like, actually, I'm not, but like, but that's okay, you know. Like yeah. like there there are many things that I have. Like I know that I'm not exactly the same as you guys, but like there's a lot of really cool stuff that I have. And I thought of that for people who carry a lot of disabilities or, um, you know, like neurodivergence throughout their life. It's like, it's, it's like, you know, this idea that there, that I'm not, I don't need to go up and say, oh, hey, you're just like everybody else and pretend like that, that difference doesn't exist, you know? Yes. Um, but it's like, no, let's acknowledge what's here. Um, and, and acknowledge that, you have a place still. And I and I like that like throughout the episode you see Picard kind of wrestling with this thing of like, oh, I never want data to feel like he doesn't have a place with us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. if if he if not doing it like very clumsily at certain points. <laughs> right. But it's kind of cool. But that he he's, is trying. He's trying. Yeah. Like you said, like he's a good ally. He's like, oh shit, I got that wrong. Let me let me immediately change how I'm saying this, you know? Yeah. 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 Which was, it was a cool moment. It was. To be like, yeah, I heard you and that was clumsy and, yeah, yeah. like I'm figuring this out, but I'm going to listen and I'm going to modify my behavior and Mm -hmm. it's like, great, that's all we can ask for as people, you know? Um, So (laughs) I was going to do this in between the recap and the analysis. Yeah. 
Do you want to start uh, our dad jokes? Yes, I have one too. So friends, uh, before we get into further analysis, Michael and I have decided we want to bring back something that I used to do on an old show of mine that I've missed for a long time, which is tell dad jokes. And I'm a daddy in certain respects. Michael is actually a dad. I'm I'm already laughing in anticipation of your joke and I don't even know what it is. That's how much I love dad jokes. Yes. And for longtime Uh, followers of my content, this will be the opposite of what the sketch used to be, which is that (laughs) Michael loves dad jokes. I love them. (laughs) All right. (sighs) So, hey, Mike. Hmm. Uh, Where do rainbows go when they get caught doing something bad? I don't know, Nick. Where do rainbows go when they get caught doing something bad? Prism. But it's a light sentence. <laughs> oh, there's two punchlines. Oh. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, I have to oh. give credit. I got that one from Star Trek Stuff Instagram account. They do, uh, and it's even better because it's Picard and Riker. Oh. And Picard's telling the joke and Riker's like reacting and holding his head. So oh, highly recommend best. that Instagram account. And I'll try to remember <sighs> to put that. See, I don't know if I should put it in the show notes or not, because then it would like ruin the punchline if someone mm-hmm. looks at it first. Yeah. But anyway, I'll put a link to that IG because you should mm-hmm. follow their account is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Michael. Nick, did you say there were 411 colonists? I, I did. So would you say that Data had the 411 on all of them? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> did you write an original joke? I did. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like the head, the mind blown emoji it, in real life. It was all I could do to make it to this point in the episode without saying it. I can't. I don't know how you held on to that. That's genius, dude. <sighs> I'm not worthy. That was amazing. <laughs> hey, don't expect this level of quality in in future episodes. I, I, I mean, cannot same. promise to deliver anything. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> same. Oh, so good. Okay, well, I hope everyone enjoyed that new segment. Mm -hmm. We're going to play it by ear and not get too stressed about it, Mm -hmm. but that will be appearing with some regularity. Mm -hmm. If you have a dad joke on a particular episode, then you can always email us. You know where to send them. At (laughs) sauce.sep at gmail.com. That email address will never not make me laugh. I love it. I, it was my. We'll be doing this seven years from now, and I will still be laughing at that. <laughs> it was my first act as a podcaster was to create. It's true. Sauce.sep because we had at gmail.com at gmail.com because we had a sauce sep. We had a we had a sauce season one it was episode a one occasion. We sept the sauce. Oh, my God. And I have to say, getting jokes from the audience is my favorite fucking thing. So please send us any jokes you have. I, I just love it. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, should they put they should put joke in the subject line mm-hmm. and then maybe we'll make a rule that you read all the jokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that they don't get spoiled for both of us, you know? Oh, right. Because one of us has to tell them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a good point. We'll figure out a system, but just put joke in the subject line so that mm-hmm. we know to not proceed if we don't want to spoil the punchline. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good thing. You got to have a whole system. We may even have to have a jokes uh, 
email account at some point. I mean, I love your optimism here. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, I think I've received a grand total of like seven emails to that address. Hey, <laughs> so, that's you actually know. quite good. That's more than I realized. So yeah, you know, that's <laughs> but not which makes me think oh yeah because i'm not logged into that email account so you just see it i have to sense. check it periodically if you don't hear back from me right away it's just because i haven't checked it in a couple days i don't have it like yeah. i don't have alerts turned on for it so <laughs> you know which now maybe i'll need to because well, everyone's gonna have all these jokes to send us yeah so. we're gonna get flooded with mm. audience engagement yeah hey mike what do you have for words of wisdom from this one I have, I had a struggle on words of wisdom. This episode was weirdly like not quotable mm -hmm. somehow, even though there were so many amazing moments, I noticed I didn't have like a lot of quotes that stood out as like, oh, this is a good standalone quote. Exactly. It was like the, the scene or the sentiment behind an exchange that was, mm -hmm. but I, but you know, calling back to the episode recap itself, um, I, my words of wisdom this week go to Wes when he says everything I said would have been listened to if it had come from an adult officer. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that yeah. is like dropping serious wisdom on ignorant adults. And I am a big fan of young people, you know, finding their agency and finding their voice and not taking shit off of asshole old people. Me too. Love that. Yeah. I think for me, that was probably like, the biggest actual word of wisdom mm -hmm. that stood out. Did you have I some did also, runners up? I I liked um, a system designed to compensate for limited human ability. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's just life now. <sighs> Isn't it? It's like everything around us. And I would probably correct that to like limited white cis male mm -hmm. <laughs> ability. No offense to the bros in the audience, but you know what I'm saying? No. It just feels like everything's tailored to compensate. Like so many other people are like fucking amazing. And then everything's like tailored to make mediocre, you know, mm -hmm. white people and white dudes in particular look good and thrive. So it's like, even though the villain said it, I resonate with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to I had to give a runner up to Picard also. Um also in our in the um, episode recap, we're merely a different variety of machine, in our case, mm -hmm. electrochemical in nature. I don't know that I agree with that um, totally. This idea, like, because I, a lot of times, like, especially like in the fitness community, there's this like sort of warped idea of like the body is a machine and food is fuel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that that like kind of departs from any like actual joy in living. But... <laughs> But given the context of when of what Picard was trying to say in that context, you know, of, of saying that like you know data belongs and and we belong, I don't know, I, clunky. Yeah. But I'll I'll give him a half a word of wisdom on that. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I I agree with everything you said. Like it, it stood out to me as like a a nice moment or like a nice attempt. Mm -hmm. But that one that also does have like some problematic, uh, you know. Yeah, it depends on ramifications where you go. to it, depending on like how far you take it uh -huh. and what you're trying to say. But I feel like within the context of the moment, I felt like he was trying very hard to be like really kind uh -huh. and to humanize data in this moment where everyone was feeling uncomfortable because they felt like just by their 
the mm-hmm. nature of their questions that they were dehumanizing him. So yeah, exactly. I'll give it to him like within that <laughs> within that framework. But I agree. And again, also as a disabled person, it's like, yeah, the body is a machine, mm-hmm. has a lot of, you know, issues to it mm-hmm. in the way that it's used on like Instagram or whatever mm-hmm. for like fitspiration and all those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or even even with meditation in the mind and this idea that you can just totally control how you feel and uh have mastery over your brain in that way is like another thing I find problematic and is kind of kind of in that same vein of like machine like Mm -hmm. and if you can just hack your brain and hack your body and hack your life you know and it's like we're still just squishy meat sacks Mm -hmm. full of water Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's like yeah Q is right yeah I mean some of these some of these techniques can help and can like do some good but um I just think this idea is just another way of like hiding and not doing deep emotional work that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And also not looking at like what kind of human you are, like mm-hmm. how you're actually showing up in the world. Cause everything's so focused on like your inner can- mastery of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, that like often those people are total fucking assholes. Yeah. Cause they just tell everyone like, Oh, well you should just do what I did mm-hmm. and then you'll be fine. And it's yeah. like the world doesn't work that way, babe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was actually, I think, one of the central themes to what I think we can say is probably the best episode so far of season one. Um, Absolutely. But I think that was one of the big themes is what kind of human are you? Because, again, I loved the way lore was written and or not data <laughs> was written. <laughs> and and one of the things that lore keeps pointing out is that he the humans couldn't stand him because he was too perfect of a reflection of them. And I thought, mm-hmm. what a cool concept that our creation is too good, you know, and, and too human for its own good, even. Um, yeah. Which was kind of an interesting, fun theme that ran throughout the episode. Well, and I wonder, too, and they did not get into it, was what was the role and function of Data and Laura in the society? Mm-hmm. Like, were they servants? Were they service droids in some capacity or were they like equal citizens or like what were they too because they wondered that when Laura was talking like I mean first of all I think he was bullshitting quite a bit I think he's evil definitely, <laughs> that's what, definitely you know but but he did bring up a good point that I'm like well if if they were supposed to be servicing the colonists in some sort of way mm-hmm. which Again, Lore was lying a lot, so it's hard to know. But the but the fact that he was like, oh, I was made so human and I love pleasing humans. Uh-huh. Like, obviously, that's not true. But I kind of wonder if there's a kernel of truth in it. Like, maybe that was what Soong intended and mm-hmm. it just didn't go right. But anyway, it just I think it does pose an interesting question of like. How humans inherently need to dehumanize the people who do service work for them Mm. and so if this droid was too human like and just seemed like you know he's incredibly smart he's charismatic in some sort of way Mm -hmm. he's very strong like he's superior to us in every way like them being uncomfortable with the fact that he's supposed to be serving them Mm -hmm. and needing to dehumanize and then you end up with data who is autistically coded. Mm -hmm. And so we have, you know, this way of him being dehumanized through neuro neurotypical normativity 
and people being like, okay, he seems more like a robot. So I feel more comfortable treating him as like a service worker. Yeah. So again, they didn't say any of this in the episode, but it just, when Laura was talking, I was having these thoughts of like, because it seems like Soong just wanted to prove that he could do it. He was, I was getting really strong, like Elon Musk vibes off of. Dude. Right? Off of soon. Ser- it's all I could think about. Like 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 somebody who just wanted to prove that he could do something to prove he could do it. And then yeah. ended up And no question if it should be done or no, no. what the point even is, you know? No. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of wonder I wonder that too. Like, you know, Soon develops this android to prove that he can do it and reclaim his reputation but then the android is just like there in this community you know and i i bet they were scared of him and i Mm -hmm. bet part of it was like prejudice and then part of it was like legit like he is scary (laughs) we saw he's terrifying and he's very evil yeah um so anyway just it was interesting and i think it's interesting too just with villains in general like what their internal dialogue is about their origin and why they are the way they are and yeah i thought it was interesting that he like he kind of characterized that in himself as that he was he had all these human qualities but paired with this powerful mind and body and it was almost like in his mind how could i not be this way Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. which was interesting like it was his it was his design like he was it was his yeah like it was inevitable yeah do, do you think that this episode was like accidentally foretelling the internet? I mean, I, I know the inter- internet was around in one form or another, you know, right. in, in 1988, but not in the form that we consider it today. Um, like this idea that there's just this wasteland of a planet that's just been completely annihilated mm. and all that's left is just this, like, you know, data storage <laughs> dump which was essentially what data was. And when you put all that data back together, you can get, well, data, you know, you can get, you can (laughs) get like some kind of a functioning thing, but it's really just the vestiges of a civilization that was doomed because of a ravaged planet. (laughs) Dude, that's pretty deep. I hadn't thought of that, but like, fuck, that just gave me chills. Like, yeah, that's probably what the earth is going to be in 20 years or something. (laughs) (laughs) well because i was thinking about it i mean i I was aided by i I was reading chuck klosterman's um history of the 90s and Mm -hmm. his chapter on the the internet is you know kind of interesting and i don't know how you write a history of the internet especially in like you know one chapter um yeah except just to be philosophical kind of about it but I was I was thinking of data as sort of a an almost like personification of, you know. No, it's like, yeah. I mean, that's what he is. He's this relic of a dead planet mm-hmm. where they were so technologically sophisticated, but like and that's what everything, wiped them out. Everything that these four hundred and eleven humans had had learned, right? Yeah. Because like, don't they specify that? That it was like yes. he doesn't hold all their memories, but he holds everything they learned. Right. I'm kind of like, whoa, I, I wonder if that's like kind of analogous in a way to like the internet. I feel, yes, dude, I think that's like genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite moved by this. Because, yeah, it's like the essence of their humanity is lost and it's just about the knowledge that they incurred during their lives that's retained as like 
you know, I think anytime we have anything good to say about the internet, that's kind of it too, is like, oh, but you, there's so much knowledge mm-hmm. at your fingertips. Yeah. You know, and not really about like how, like, does it make us better people though? Does it help us connect to one another better? Mm-hmm. You know, because we know by now that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. We used to think that, but now it's like, and even the information part is getting corroded. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder about that, like if, you know, someday archaeologists or aliens or whoever is digging through our archives, they're just going to be like, what the fuck? Like, can you imagine trying to go through stuff now? And they're like, every every piece of information is matched at least equally, if not two or three times as much with fake, like false information. Mm -hmm. Like you I don't even know how you would actually like how would you write anthropologically yeah, I don't know how you would do it because no. you'd, how would you even know what was real and what was not real? No, you would have so much contradictory information that like assembling any kind of a narrative would just become such an onerous task you'd have to give up. Yeah, it's wild to uh, me. That's a really interesting thought. Damn, good job. <laughs> you wrote an original joke and <laughs> you had a really deep thought. Good job. Okay. That was right. That note was right next to my note of data's butt, exclamation point, exclamation point, data's butt, exclamation point, exclamation point. So, you know, like, let's uh, let's not give me too much credit here. (laughs) They all can't be, you know, prize winners. No. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to point out that there's a butt on screen. There's a butt. Yeah. And move on. Yeah. But. But I did love the I did love the data searching for like the idea of him being a the appeal I should say of him finding someone like himself like his own and thinking about that for what you said about data being coded as like you know like maybe autistic or um, as neurodivergent as like this this drive that we all have to belong and the thing that brings us back to Star Trek you know is because. Star Trek is where we like we other people who feel like they don't belong can be like, yeah. oh, I see myself represented here, you know, in this way, which for all the bullshit we had to put up with, <laughs> in, like <laughs> the, the early season one episodes was kind of like we earned this payoff on episode 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone who's here with us now, we all earned this episode. Mm-hmm. Pat yourself on the back. You deserve this. <laughs> Yeah, and I just thought that the episode was so well written mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Like, I thought the existential threat was actually very scary. Mm-hmm. Like, I was scared of the crystalline entity. Yeah. So I was like, dude, if it can do that to a planet. I know. I still have questions about how the whole thing works. Because that seemed all? very contrived. <laughs> right. <laughs> but putting that aside, I thought it was so genius to have this, like, evil twin. Yep facilitate this like existential threat oh yeah you know because like he was so existential oh he was so evil because existential threats to me are very effective like i definitely that is something that i um i don't know i just find it works for me Mm -hmm. in like horror and or Mm sci-fi but having this like this tangible kind of person Mm -hmm. being the one facilitating this existential threat and having him be so evil i just worked i was like this is actually like very tense yep this is actually scary yeah you know like there's there's real emotional weight whereas a lot of episodes you're like 
Eh. This is so silly. You know, yeah. <laughs> like whatever the threat is, is just kind of silly. Yeah. Um, but this one, I was like on the edge of my seat. But I also, I just thought it was amazing character development for Data. Mm-hmm. I think for Wesley as well. Yes. But it was also like, to me, this is like, it really encapsulated what I love about the show. Because I love the characters. Mm-hmm. But what I really love about the show, it made me a super fan and want to have like an obsessive podcast about the show, (laughs) was like the meeting we saw with Data and Picard and Riker and Jordy and the way that Picard is working to make Data feel like part of the team while he's also trying to facilitate this necessary conversation Mm -hmm. in a way that's not dehumanizing. You know, seeing Bev find out about Data's off switch and like understanding the gravity of that and and swearing to him that she'll protect his secret. Seeing Wesley and even Bev pick up on these, um, not as subtle as they could have been in some cases, but these, these context clues that like, oh, this person I know and that I'm close to is something's off you know something's going on here i just thought like this is what i love about the show is these interpersonal relationships and the way that people engage with one another to support each other and to work through things and to i mean the most terrifying part of the show and i've said it before is the fact that so often people are not themselves you know yeah yeah I just got put under for a procedure and there's something I have trauma every time that I'm put under anesthesia mm-hmm. and I, I don't even know that I can fully articulate why, but there's something really horrifying to me about being unconscious and having people manipulate my body mm-hmm. and just being like, I will never know what happened during that time. Yeah. And especially with the time, like, after you wake up, but you still don't really remember. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so you have these, like, snippets of what happened, but you're like, I don't know what I said. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I was behaving. I don't know what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Yeah. Um. So I think that's why, for me, the show has, like, such a dark undertone to it that people are constantly not themselves in one way or another. And so to see the ways in which people try to know each other really well so that they can pick up that like something is wrong and try to like come to that person's rescue and figure things out. I always find really compelling. And I feel like we got, we just got so much of that dynamic in this episode. Yeah. We got to really get like interpersonal development, character development in a way that didn't feel forced. It felt like very sincere and very natural you know, it's not like two people being like, wow, we're such great friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. Picard being like, okay, I know this is fucking awkward because we because we have to acknowledge that this person is a machine made out of parts, but that's okay. We're all machines. Yeah. You know, like trying yeah. trying to facilitate this conversation. Like to me, that's just such good, good character development in this way that I just find really just warm and snuggly, you know, and that's what the show makes me feel so good is watching moments like these where you get to see someone grow and be challenged and that's all interesting. But what's really interesting is the way the people around them act to support that. Yeah. 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 Loved it. Did on that note, since we both are in love with this episode, did you have an episode rating? I, I did. It's pretty historic. Okay. I got to give it a wooey. <laughs> How can I not? This is a wooey. 
This was not only Wesley heavy and Data heavy, mm-hmm. but it was Wesley and Data interacting with each other mm-hmm. heavy. Mm-hmm. And it was fucking good. Mm-hmm. Like the writing was actually super good, which we don't always get yep. on the show. Yep. Um, I mean, I could nitpick. There's a lot of stuff in here that I could like pick apart, but I don't want to. No. Like, I think if you just watch it, it it has a cohesive storyline. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, just the the technical aspects of the episode were fucking phenomenal. Like I said, the camera work and the editing absolutely blew me away. The sound design was on point. Brent Spiner, just MVP yep. all the way. Yep. But like everyone, you know, even Wesley or um, Will Wheaton, like all, I think everyone really did their best. I feel bad for Gates McFadden because she is such a good actress and this didn't really let her shine. But even in moments, like she still had moments where she was giving really good face and like doing her best with the material. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, how could I, what is going to get better than this? Yeah. I have to give it a woo-wee. It's a solid woo-wee. I will add to that with other words from um, Helmsman Jordy LaForge. Data, it's you. Oh. And that's the episode, right? It's like, Data, it's that, you. Yes. And we get like such, and not just Data, the character that we love, but but Brent Spiner, the actor that we love, yeah, acting this part. Because there were so many scenes where I was like, in clumsy hands, this would this episode would be so cheesy, you know? Oh, like, absolutely. But, but the way, like, I mean, he sold me. I hated lore. I was creeped the fuck out. Oh, and disgusting. I mean, even like like some of the devastating things that lore said to Data, like like you were imperfect, and so they had to make a more perfect version of you. Like that's like the most cutting. That's like something that you know, like a younger brother would say to like an older brother, like, oh yeah, well you fucked up so much or you made mom and dad so unhappy that they had to make me or something. Like it's like the most devastating. This guy is pure fucking evil. And Brent Spiner acted the character to a T. I mean, it was flawless. I hated him. It really was. I know. Like, how do I I hate him? Because I love him. him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what is going on here? The second... Lore spoke. I was like, oh, I fucking hate this guy. I know. You know, and it was just, yeah, from start to finish. But like you said, it could have been cheesy. Yep. And they knew that and they just absolutely mastered Mm -hmm. walking that line of leaning into the cheese enough to make it super fun. Yep. But not enough to take away from like how actually scary and villainous this guy was. And and also just the emotional through line of the episode was just Data's emotional journey. Yes. I feel like that was never compromised by the slightly campy moments that gave us joy and that's pretty like skillful to walk that line and to keep something that could be cheesy from not being cheesy but Mm -hmm. also have tongue-in-cheek like recognizing that it is kind of cheesy yep i mean that takes some fucking talent honestly and i was trying to think of like like the shut up wesley like why it got such a visceral response from me and i'm realizing it's because of the gravity of the situation you know what i mean like i like i'm like no don't let lore trick you guys he's bad (laughs) listen to wesley god damn it listen to wesley (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) no exactly and i feel again with this continuing um through line of like the tragedy of both Riker and Wesley, mm-hmm. Wesley's most tragic 
like through line of this whole series is that he sees stuff that's terrifying and the adults don't believe him. Yeah. And he is left as a child to try to figure out what the fuck to do about mm-hmm. it. And I think seeing that this extremely powerful being who's also incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. realizing that's not my friend, that's the bad guy. Yeah. And no one will listen to that's you. That's horrifying. Absolutely horrifying, especially as anyone, but especially as a child. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, knowing that like he's already suffered loss and that's always like this thing that's uh, haunting him, you mm-hmm. know, that he's already lost his dad and he worries about making the right decision and protecting people. I mean, that's some heavy shit. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you don't lose that for a moment, but then you mm-hmm. can also laugh at him being like, are you ready for the death that you've earned, little man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, like, laughing, but also feeling the chill of, like, he will absolutely burn this boy to a crisp. I know. (laughs) I know. He will do it. (laughs) I mean, masterful. It's a solid woo-wee right there. It's how how can it be anything but? I do like uh, Data, It's You, though. That's also Mm -hmm. quite a good rating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I just want to say I think this episode was a good example of data as, you know, autistic representation, Mm -hmm. disability representation, and trans representation. And we'll see that even more going forward. But I felt like there were so many moments that you could pick out and be like, oh, this specifically, like, applies to Mm. trans issues. This Mm. specifically applies to disability, which I think we noted in our analysis but i just i just want to say again like that's part of my just unending love for data mm-hmm. is this way that he really does represent the other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he does represent it generally but then the show takes these moments to whether intentional or not because it's kind of hard to know but it takes these moments to like have very specific representation within him as well yeah And I feel like we got hints of that, like talking about pronouns, you know, it's just like a very inherently trans experience Mm -hmm. and seeing Mm -hmm. how that conversation goes. And then as we mentioned, you know, this idea of like what is normal and him being compared to his brother, which is something I think a lot of neurodivergent people struggle with. Mm. You know, if you're autistic and your brother's neurotypical, like and especially if your family doesn't have I mean, I was someone who wasn't diagnosed, so my family didn't understand why I was different mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and I looked out that a lot of time my differences were seen as positive because my parents put a lot of weight on academics and I was very academically inclined but there are still like I have so much pain from my mom telling me so many stories about how I was weird as a kid and how I would creep her out you know and it's like now understanding well where that was coming from, where those behaviors were coming from. It just like really hurts. Yeah. You know? And I I don't have as much pain because I feel like I was kind of the golden child in my family. So I don't have that pain of being compared to someone else. But even from the pain I do have of just these like comments that are stuck in my head, um, I can only imagine how it would feel to like have this brother who's seen as just, especially for him to be specifically better than you at the things that you most want to be better at uh, of course like the you know, sense of humor just like, and the uh, yeah yeah uh. like watching him sing and dance and like tell that 
that joke mm-hmm. and then just be like, oh, you don't get that though. Don't like you struggle with human. You don't understand humor. Uh, and I was just like, wow, that's so brutal. Yeah. Like that's just so fucking mean. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm. Ah, just so well done. Yeah. Woo wee. Woo wee. <laughs> Woo wee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to pull that and actually put it in the put episode in, at the end. Yeah, we'll put it in the end. Because we got to hear it. Mm-hmm. Next, we have season one, episode 13, Angel One, mm. of which I know nothing about. <laughs> I, know, I was like, <laughs> I do not remember this one at all. I, I, I said I would set you up. I did not say I would take it home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair. The one downside of episode 12, Data Lore is there is nowhere to go but down from here. Dude, I was thinking that. I was like, we should just end the show here. Yeah. We should just stop doing the podcast because mm-hmm. like... Thanks for joining us. It's been really fun. <laughs> <laughs> for, yeah. for, for 12 episodes, we've created approximately 14,000 hours worth of content because <laughs> <laughs> we cannot shut up. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Uh, uh. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see you on the next one for Angel One. Yes. And Riker Sex Stuff. Yeah. See you next time. You don't want to miss it. Or maybe you you do. Definitely don't. But we'll. Or perhaps. But we'll. Maybe some jokes will be had. See, you don't want to miss the dad joke. Yeah. The words of wisdom. This is now the Red Shirt Collective Variety Show. Yeah. So you got to tune in to see what's happening. Never know what you're going to (laughs) get. All right. Bye, everybody. All right. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 